verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent Jesse, sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played. It was with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed for him. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. So Saul is at the end of his reign, at least spiritually speaking. He has effectively walked away from the Lord, decided to do things his own way, and the Lord has taken the kingdom from him. And as we saw last week, at the same time, God has anointed David as the new king. Well, Saul already is beginning to disintegrate. It's interesting, I I looked up online, um, psychologists analyzing King Saul, and there's quite a few people that have tried to diagnose what was happening to him, and he clearly is suffering from an aspect of a mental illness. Uh, His diagnosis is a bipolar mental disorder with paranoid schizophrenia. And he is, when you think about what he's going through and the way he has mood swings and he becomes increasingly violent and paranoid and and all of that. There's also a spiritual dimension to this. There's this evil spirit that um, the Lord brings to torment him. Don't ask me to parse out the difference between mental illness and uh, wicked spirits. I I don't know. Um, I think it's a very tricky, delicate balance, but Uh, And by the way, I'm so glad you're here, brother. Tony washes dishes, and he's on a 10-minute break. (laughs) And so the reason why he comes in and out is he's got to go back and work. So he's trying to work on his schedule so that he can be a part of us. But we're glad for every minute that you can... uh, Welcome, Tony. Yes. So you come in and out whenever you can come in and out. So... So Saul has these servants or these officials, and they're watching him. And, and, and if you've gone through this, it's a very disorienting, disturbing thing to watch someone that you care for descend into mental illness and spiritual bondage. Very upsetting. And, of course, the servants don't know everything about what's going on. They just watch this king that they love 
the sin. And so one of the servants figures out, and we don't know how he figures it out, but he figures out that there actually is a, is a wicked spirit that is afflicting Saul. Perhaps Paul, Saul described it. We don't know. And they say, let's go get someone to play the liar, which uh, I've never heard played. It's a, it's a kind of a stringed instrument with two, two aspects to it, um, two kind of horns to it. And everybody immediately knows that that's what you should do for someone in this kind of an emotional, spiritual struggle. You should go get somebody and play music. And I was reading that story. I, 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 it's always intrigued me that that was what they all knew to do. You know, and I, I, I kind of thought it would say, you know, and one of the court officials brought in a, a priest to teach more Torah to the king. It doesn't say that. Um, it says, come find somebody to play music. He's profoundly suffering. Now, let's try to unpack this a little bit, because music has a very fascinating role in the Old Testament. Um, there's a, a story in 1 Samuel 10 where uh, Samuel has sent Saul out to begin his ministry, and he tells him, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying, and then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. Do You see, there's a little bit of a cause and effect there. Uh, it's this idea that music, and I'm assuming it's worship music, music that praises God, that would have been what they'd have been doing, ushers in uh, the, the, the prophetic anointing on, on the prophet. Music sort of prepares the way for the Spirit of God to come and speak. There's a, another story later. Elisha is called upon to prophesy, and he can't just do it. He calls for a musician first, and it says when, when he played, the hand of God came upon him, and he prophesied. So again, there's the sense in Scripture that, that music is more than just beauty or comforting. There's a way in which music, at least music that honors the Lord, ushers in the Spirit of God. Um, there's also a sense that the, the people of Israel have that, that music can function in spiritual warfare as well. There's the story about Jehoshaphat, and he's up against a a powerful, powerful army, and he sends the choir out first uh, to fight, to start. He won't go to war until the singers have led the way. Somehow there is a spiritual power and protection and governance that's released when they, when they do that. Um, today, I, I had a, one of the most unique, powerful, and terrible... <laughs> Uh, things that I've, I've been to, and our brother Dan Fry, so proud of Dan there. This was the Hope for Victims uh, meeting over on the boardwalk, and there are about 75, 100 people there, uh, pictures of their murdered loved one uh, all over the front, and uh, so proud of you, Dan. Dan has really become a elder to this uh, 
this this company of believers that's or people that suffer so tremendously. It was so beautiful to watch you care for this dear flock. And it started with uh, you know some some different kind of announcements and formalities, and the, the mayor you know saying some some good stuff and uh, some music, and then I spoke a little bit, and then it ended with pretty much everybody there getting up and naming how their um, how their loved one was killed and, and asking for encouragement. Um, and for me, as a speaker, it was one of those times when I felt like I don't really have much of a moral authority to speak to you and I'm not sure I'm connecting really well and being real helpful. But there was this lady that stood up, lovely African-American lady, young lady, she gets up and she says, I've lost two kids. Two kids. And then she starts to sing. And the lyrics were, I was made to praise you. <laughs> and she said, that's the only way. And I felt the mood totally shift from what I was trying to do <laughs> with my best efforts and a song. There's something about music that touches the heart in a a way that even the best teaching uh, and books can't do. I have a friend, his name is Harvey Thurmer. He's a professor of violin at uh, uh, Miami. Rocky, am I uh, disappearing here? Are you just saying enough? I'm sending you home. Okay, get a little more. Okay, good. And uh, he did a PhD in music therapy. I, I didn't, I don't know much about that, but I, I remember that. And so I emailed him and I said, "Will you read this text and tell me, tell me what you see when you, when you read a text like this?" And he wrote me back. He said, "Hi, I don't know if this is biblical or not, but <laughs> fair. Uh, um, that's how I start my sermons. Um, but <laughs> and, and, and invariably, my mood changes when I play the violin." There's something about physically making the sounds that is a part of this. It helps you get out of you into what might be unexpressed or unable to be expressed verbally or even mentally. There is so much that is spiritual that can only be felt or sensed. You know, that's true. That is really true. That's something I I think the Lord's really trying to teach me, is that you can only think your way so far towards God. You can only read your way so far toward. Believe me, if you could read your way to God, <laughs> I, I've, I've got the I've got the T-shirt. But there's a way of connecting with God that's not better than connecting with your mind, but other than connecting with your mind. And that's just like a new idea to me. Maybe that's why I've been dreaming so much. I had three dreams last night. You know, all right, Lord, I'll write it down. You know, can't you just send me the book. <laughs> you know, no. No, because there's a way I want to talk to you that's outside of the mind. So Harvey says, um, there's so much that's spiritual that can only be felt or sensed, and music accesses that region of our being. Even when I dread practicing, but I do it anyway, I sense a change of mood, and sometimes more than that. It takes me to a different perspective or paradigm shift where I might view a problem differently. One example, when I was taking a music therapy class in Florida, I was struggling with a choice I had to make, I entered the class not knowing what to do, and I had no peace. 
Each person went around the room and played an improv to express how they were feeling. That, wow, I mean, that's a pretty powerful way to kind of connect with each other. And then he says, uh, my piece was very dark, and the members of the class were very worried about me. I didn't talk about what was going on, but I left the class knowing exactly what I needed to do and felt real peace from God about it. God can use these things that he's made to help us hear his voice or be guided in ways that we can't cognitively understand. In Saul's case, just hearing music changed him, and it does for me too. You know, music, of course, is energy, right? I mean, when when you think about it. And I asked Ruth um, Edwards, who's a violinist in the symphony, she was at Wednesday morning Eucharist, and I I said, "Where, where are you going to play this morning? And she said, the deaf school. I said, the deaf school. Uh, And she said, yes, the students can feel the energy of the music. They can feel the vibration of the music. And then somebody pointed out to me that in uh, Genesis 1, when the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters, the chaotic waters, the dark waters to bring life, I think Blair was telling me about this, that one of, the, one of the ways you can translate that is, is that the spirit, it's got kind of a bird-like metaphor, sings over the deep uh, and, and brings chaos and order, that it, it hums, that it kind of vibrates over the chaos and brings order out of it. So there, there's a way that, that singing can do that in, in the spirit. And so when Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Be filled with the spirit. And then he describes what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. Be filled with the spirit. Well, what does it look like when you're filled with the spirit? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So do you see it again? There's this relationship between the Holy Spirit and song, the Holy Spirit and and worship and praise, being filled with the Spirit and singing and praising. I called my daughter. She's a musical theater major uh, trying to make it in that world. And, you know, it's not easy, and she's struggling. And I I asked her earlier in the week, I said, Ashton, read this and tell me. You're a singer. What's it like? And she she said, Dad, all I know is that when I'm down and I start to praise, I feel better. You know, there, there's just something about worship that, that touches our emotions. Now, this little verse in Ephesians 5 is fascinating because he says when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll do a couple things. You'll, you'll sing psalms to each other, and of course that was Israel's hymn book. You'll sing hymns to each other, and of course that was, uh, you know, like we have, hymns that are written about about the faith, and then you'll sing spiritual songs to each other. I dug into that a little bit today. In the Greek, it's just two words. Uh, one is an adjective describing the song. Songs of the Spirit, songs inspired by the Spirit, songs uh, led by the Spirit. And it probably means one of two things. It could mean just spontaneously coming up with songs, like you might do, at least like I might do in the shower or a car. I would never do it publicly, but... Uh, you know, where you just feel led to praise the Lord and led to sing. But there's another aspect of this, too, that it could mean, 
according to the, the grammar in the Greek, it could mean referring to singing in, in spiritual language. Uh, we talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, singing in tongues, which, which has a unique and powerful energy to it. That happened to me once. Long ago, I was uh, very discouraged. I went into a prayer time, and, and someone began to sing in tongues over me. And it was, uh, uh, it was like a, a river, a warm river of love that just kind of washed over me. And I've always struggled to find the right words for it. Um, I found a good description in the Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo's resting, it says, alone and forlorn in Rivendell. And he hears the beautiful language of the elves, and I think this could apply to all sorts of spirit-led worship and music. At first, the beauty of the melodies of interwoven words in the elven tongue, even though we understood them little, held them in a spell. Almost it seemed the words to shape and visions of far lands and bright things that he'd never yet imagined or opening out before him. And the firelit hall became like a golden mist above seas of foam that sighed upon the margins of the world. And then the enchantment became more and more dreamlike until he felt that an endless river of swelling gold and silver was flowing over him. Too multitudinous for its pattern to be comprehended, it became part of the throbbing air about him, and it drenched and drowned him. And swiftly he sank under its shining weight into a deep realm of sleep. So, all sorts of ways that God uses singing, praise, worship to touch us, to lead us into his presence. And one of the things I just encourage you is take advantage of that. If, if you're struggling spiritually, figure out a way to praise, to connect with them in worship. I don't think it always has to be praise music either. Take advantage of the gift of, of music and song. And I, I wonder even as a body how we could take more advantage of that, how we could gather for praise, make that more part of our life together. Well, a young man steps up and says, I know a guy who can... Uh, play that way. And there's an interesting description. I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. That's quite a, <laughs> quite a description. And, and it struck me, I think you're getting a little bit of a foreshadowing here about what we're going to learn about David. David is a fascinating study of masculinity. He's a fascinating study of a lot of flaws in masculinity. He's going to make some tragic mistakes. He's not a plaster saint. But he also, he has this artistic side and this warrior side. Or you know, some would say that you know, there's kind of a creative or more of a nurture, more of a feminine side and more of a masculine side. And somehow he embraces both of them. Normally, in our culture, we split them off. Artists over here, warriors over there. And yet, this man is an artist warrior? That's something worth kind of exploring, man, as we, as we think about what it means to be a man. Well, David's father is honored by the king's requests, sends his son to court bearing gifts. They meet. 
And, and Saul just delights in him. And one of the things I want, I want you to ask, if you're familiar with the Bible, is as we read this story, forget what you know. <laughs> Don't read ahead. Because the first time they heard the story, they didn't know how it ended, right? And, and I wonder if what God wasn't trying to do here was restore Saul. At least to a position of, of peace and spiritual wholeness, if not to the kingdom. Because when David came into his house, David ministered to him, Saul trusted him, and they had a very sweet relationship. And it wasn't until the paranoia and pr- probably the mental illness and the spiritual affliction came upon him fully that Saul rejected the gift that was David. And you watch all the way through the rest of 1 Samuel, David is trying to support this king that's so mean to him. So I wonder if that's not part of what God and his redemptive purpose was, was trying to do at this point. Now, it ends, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, David would take the lyre and play with his hand, and so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. The Berkeley translation says, and the playing eased Saul. The Moffat translation says, David played for Saul until Saul breathed freely again. <laughs> and, and, you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, what a great picture of, of worship. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a great description of what, what we do here together? That we come in with burdens and afflictions and troubles and disturbances and as we're all together worshiping and singing and listening to the word and coming to the table, that there's a sense in which the presence of God rides in on our praises. And whatever evil spirits or craziness that's trying to drive us nuts, and who knows what we brought in here tonight, we leave eased and refreshed. I think that's a good picture of worship. Let's pray.